Visions Now. Visions Now. Visions Now. Visions Now is resilience. Visions Now is community. It is enlightenment and it's the promising future that we're all working towards. Hello, everybody. I'm Jabari Carmichael. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and his. And I'm too really excited to have this conversation about uh, the history of the land. So it, it's an evolving one, and I'm glad to be here with you. Hi, my name is Theo Hilton. Uh, I use he and him uh, and his pronouns. And uh, I'm a currently a graduate student in cultural anthropology at Tulane University um, and a songwriter. And uh, yeah, I have come to this conversation sort of out of the perspective of being in a in an institutional context where we think a lot about expert knowledge um, in an uncritical way and think about particular kinds of removed viewpoints and and distance as being uh, sort of more valued than than um, other kinds of experiential knowledge and so trying to unpack that and understand you know what if anything is useful about those institutions and where they can go and, and that's sort of how it comes to this conversation and, and and the way that I participate in it. Good morning, friends. Uh, my name's Kevin. I'm excited to be here with you guys. I'm also here with Baby Grant, who you might hear on this audio, who is a four-month-old who lives with me and Theo. Um, and I'm an outdoor educator. Um, I grew at Youth Farm in New Orleans, where we do a lesson called History of the Land that is a big part of our project that we're here to talk about with y'all today. Um, so yeah, excited and grateful to be here. Thanks, y'all. That, that really does want me to make me want to share just my own relationship to all of you and to the land is very much rooted um, in this inquiry that happened at Grodat Youth Farm and continues to this day with teenagers and adults around what happened here, right? Like what happened here? And um, Theo, I love how you really took us to this place around in scholarship, because I'm an academic too, and there has been so much emphasis on who produces knowledge and what's considered valid knowledge in the academy or elsewhere, and how even doing history of the land work has been such sort of a toggling for me between you know theoretical perspectives, big picture perspectives, and then really my own experience of being a white settler colonial person in relationship with land in places where both my ancestors have lived and where they haven't, right? Where I'm a new person there. So um, sort of just really, the experience of trying to make sense of where I am in the world, both as a scholar, but then as a person trying to do good work, right? Like trying to think about ethics and social justice um, in a really, really personal embodied way too. Um, simultaneously while loving the land, right? Like being a person, and I think we all connect on this as people who love the plant and animal world, love humans relationships with all of those things, ask a lot of questions about um, environmental racism and environmental justice, where all of that fits into um, the love of place, right? Of getting in a canoe and being outside and meeting bugs and um, being with one another around a campfire. So I just love that we bring kind of all of these questions around what does it mean to be in relationship with one another and with place? So yeah, you just took me right there, Theo, like from that scholarly perspective to also just, where am I? What does it mean that I'm here? Yeah, I, I really like that thread too, which is, you know, why am I here and, and, and where is here? And, you know, that's, that's the power of the history of land, of, of land and that's the story of the history of the land. And Kevin, you name and grow that, you know, where the origin of this lesson started 
And, you know, that was because we working in the most of the black city and, you know, the grow that being first a, a nonprofit organization uh, that was launched in 2011 in New Orleans to hire teenagers from throughout the city to grow food. And it was really apparent or visible that most of the young folks that worked on the farm were black or brown youth from the city. And at the founding of the organization, most of the staff were white and really wanted to explore not just the optics of that, but how history uh, has informed what it is I see today and how it is I'm living into relationship with people and with land. And so it, for me, has been a really powerful place to be and to exist. Because when I think about the history of the land in this way, it's unbiased. It isn't how Jabari feels about the history of the land or it isn't about, you know, any other individual. But if the land is telling this story, it includes how my relationship with the land, Kevin and Theo and Jeannie's relationship with the land and the land is telling the story. And so. That's that's what I find really powerful about the history of the land in its origin and, and how, you know, it continues to exist and unfold um, in my life and in our relationship together. So, you know, that 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 foundation and that base of the history of the land is, is just that it's a base and a space to look forward, a space to look around now and uh, a space to look from from where it is we've come what is there to learn you know what how can i be in better relationship with people and be in better relationship with the land or right relationship uh so 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 that's what i'm really hearing in in what you all are naming and, and of course that's education the stories we're told about the land so yeah maybe it would be helpful just to say a word about what we mean when we're saying the phrase history of the land um, which I think um, <clears throat> for us means like a lot of different things. Um, and one of them is this lesson at Grodat called the history of the land um, where I work that explores the, the question of like what's happened on the, on the seven acres that the farm is located on. Um, but I think that for us, the term history of the land also means like the practice of looking at the story of what's happened on a particular piece of land as a tool for understanding like um, how we came to be wherever it is that we are right now and where we wish to go acknowledging histories of dispossession and settler colonialism and racism um, and also liberation and struggle that have happened on like the particular uh, place where we are. Um, and so I think like at Grodat that's been really powerful for me um, as a white person who had, is descended from slaveholders um, to think critically about like, what does it mean for me to be um, in relationship with others um, of different racial backgrounds, different class backgrounds, doing agricultural work on, on land that has been um, dispossessed from indigenous Homa, Chimacha, Washa, Chawasha people on land that was turned into a sugarcane plantation that was a forced labor camp on land where also um, enslaved people were escaping and setting up multi-ethnic communities in the swamp and living together in like a radically anti-capitalist way in the shadow of the plantation system. 
Um, what does it mean to do that work um, and to be a white person today um, on land that was turned into a park that was um, built only for white people by people of color um, in the 1920s and 30s and 40s? Um, and also considering that in the context of the park today, where do we see those legacies of, of dispossession and exclusion in the like privatization of public space and the neoliberal era where we are now? Um, and so I think like what's cool about this idea for me of the history of the land is that it, it, it personalizes and localizes and like makes meaningful on like a small scale to me today these huge historical questions of like slavery and settler colonialism. And whereas in an academic context, I think sometimes those things can seem so big that they have nothing to do with me in a history of the land frame when I'm thinking about like, well, what happened right here? And how does that inform how I act and think and be today in my relationships? with people especially who are different than me. Um, I think that that's a frame that we're really excited to offer to others, um, to locate these like giant, sometimes for me overwhelming historical processes in a particular location that makes us reconsider our role in history as, as like receivers of history, but also people who are placed by history, but also actors and people who like shape and make history in the worlds that we're in. Um, something that comes to heart for me, Kevin, and hearing you say that is the way that I've been learning from, um, you know, activists and decolonial geographers. I'm thinking of um, Mariama Eversley and how she has really introduced this idea to me of um, if you learn a land's history, especially as somebody who's interested in land stewardship today, right? Like, what does it mean right now? for um, a farm to be on this location or to be thinking about a home on this location or whatnot in this place, you know, this idea that um, learning the land's history is really instructive about the kind of healing or medicine or reparations, you know, all of these framings that the land um, wants and needs into the future, right? And I love that idea around like really learning um, what the history of a land is, is so powerful in thinking about healing and about medicine. Um, and so that's an idea that I, you know, really come back to too, is it's, it's the process of learning about our relationships with place and, you know, what that might mean for the future. And something that I think about, you know, is 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 the way that we are and maybe this is even comes out of visions i think like something that i've talked to kev about a lot before you know pertaining to the ways that we think about whiteness and our experiences of whiteness is this framework of saying like look things that have happened in the past like are not you know it's not our responsibility nor is it possible to like change those things having happened but it's our responsibility to be accountable in the moment to like making the future different um and i think that like especially in this moment where i think there's a much larger um mainstream discourse around that um that's you know then is co-opted by like coca-cola or like cheetos or whatever that really pushes us to not think very critically about what that means and so it says look we're just going to be better now and that's that you know and i think that that what this is you know and you know and, and gina sort of contrasting this to academic knowledge production but i think the ways then that that plays into ways that any larger system is always going to co-opt um uh uh, uh or 
organic movement from from you know of voices who are historically excluded you know calling for calling for change um the move is always to desituate ourselves um from place and time and and i think that that especially plays into ways that we can talk about whiteness but i don't think we want to really sit there necessarily in this conversation but um but what i think is so powerful about the history of the land framework is it's like very much about being like who are we and where do we situate ourselves in this history in this sort of complex set of experiences um all around us and so what does moving forward look like in a pretty nuanced and accountable and real way which is like sort of paradigmatically different well maybe i think an option for i think a, I, I would love to hear Jeannie and jabari you guys share a little bit about um y'all's relationship to land and the and the way that you're thinking about um and the way that you're thinking about and have come to this work based on like both of your like places, which I feel like is a really cool thread in the article that you guys talk about, um, like moving past a like relationship to land that's like based on domination and exploitation and like thinking, thinking about building new relationships to land and how both of y'all do that and have done that in your own context. You guys are open to sharing about that. Two things, Kevin, I definitely hear that invitation about place-based, um, you know, my connection to history of the land and, and Gina's connection. And what, what's present what, what's present me for me now is two questions that came up for me frequently, which is um, who, who was here that is no longer here who or what, including animals, people, animals, plants, um, that's no longer here, and what is here uh, that wasn't here. And I'm thinking here as in whatever piece of land that I'm on in the U.S., you know, where I'm from in Mississippi, and the, the, the variable of time being um, before European contact, you know, or yeah, before European contact. And so I'm from I'm from Mississippi, a little town north of Jackson called uh, Camden. My family have been on that piece of land for more than a hundred years now. Well, a hundred years in 2026. And I remember really clearly, you know, my mother sharing with me at a young age to never sell the land. And this was as, you know, a, a kid, you know, a middle school kid, a high school kid. And when I was home just last week for Father's Day, I spoke to my Aunt Babe, who's 104, uh, May 25th. And one of the things that she was speaking about was how to coordinate the land staying in the family. She was, you know, telling us that she has to make calls to her nieces and nephews that are in their 70s and 80s to try to find a way where the land stays in the family. And that really illuminates to me the plight of black and brown folks in the U.S. to be able to acquire land and not just acquire land, but to keep and maintain that land and to be able to pass it down uh, to future generations. And so as I think about that, that's really clear for me how um, the history of the land is, is really important in that um, 
it enables me to continue to tell my story. And my story is not just my story. My story is my community's story, right? And so my family only hanging on to their land shapes the history of the land moving forward, right? But it's again, it's not just an individual story. It includes my neighbors, you know, it includes cousins who also live nearby. And and history is is for me really important in that way because my people haven't always been able to tell our own story. We haven't always been in control of our destinies and in control of our now, quite honestly. And so this history of the land for me is is it's more than just looking for looking 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 backward and just understanding in this really methodical way in, in ways that I heard you name it earlier, Theo, of you know, what used to be here, you know, it's, it's the power of also the future. And that's where I'm really rest, resting with this now is, is, is in that space is that I have the power to tell my story, right? And it is not a single story and I cannot tell my story alone. And so it requires that I'm in relationship. It requires that I'm in, in communities with other folks who are also engaging in that same conversation of understanding how it is we've come here. You know, Kevin, you naming that, you know, your people being from Mississippi, you know, and you being engaged in this work as a white man and myself as a black man, both were roots from Mississippi. I mean, it doesn't take long to understand what those dynamics would have been, you know, 150 years ago. And we're here today sitting side by side, acknowledging that past and creating the path forward, you know? <laughs> and what does that look like to be in that relationship equitably? Um, and not where equality is just like, okay, cool. Both of these two people uh, from different sides of the track, so to say, have the story, but what does it look like to include, to do that equitably? And so that's what I'm here for. And I'm, again, this is just the beginning. Right. To me, this is like the fun size of the candy bar, you know, like like there's so much more to explore, uh, you know, in the telling. And that's the last thing I'll say, Danny, which is in the telling of the story, you know, it's really apparent to me that none of us are, you know, uh, I'm not an indigenous person. And I've heard you all name it about yourselves. So a piece of a piece of the story is missing, you know, and Kevin, you've worked really hard to get you know, other uh, folks and indigenous folks engaged in the telling of this story. And that's just the beginning. You know, it, I just keep arriving. I feel like I keep arriving to new beginnings, which feels really exciting to me. Jabari, when you're naming this importance of um, storytelling and really telling stories and you telling stories, it really it really, for the first time, I had like this light bulb go off around the way that Robin Wall Kimmerer talks about how restoration um, has to be a process of restoryation, right? Restoryation. And for me, the way that you just illuminated that this is so much about freedom and who is telling what stories and how, um, you know, and, and obviously, Theo, that just comes right back to like knowledge production, right? Like what counts and what counts as ways of knowing. Um, but really the power and how powerful it is um, to, to tell stories and tell stories differently about the land as part of restoration, as part of um, being in relationship today. 
And, and obviously, yeah, that looks different for me as a white person. Um, I, I've talked to all of you a lot over the years around my relationship with the Flint Hills of Kansas, this like amazing tall grass prairie where my Swedish ancestors have lived for several generations now and are still mainly farming or ranching on that land as settler colonial people, right? And having such a deep relationship, just like so much, you know, love for this place that also um, has such histories of violence embedded within it, as far as what it means for, you know, my white Swedish ancestors to own land there. Um, so I did, I actually just like always come back to this Wendell Berry quote. Um, I think that this, this might be from, I don't think this is from The Hidden Wound, which is excellent, but um, I think this is from a native hill, maybe is what he calls it. Um, but he says, I'm forever being crept up on and newly startled by the realization that my people established themselves here by killing or driving out the original possessors, by the awareness that people were once brought and sold here by my people, by the sense of the violence they have done to their own kind and to each other and to the earth. And so here, in the place I love more than any other, and where I have chosen among all other places to live my life, I am more painfully divided within myself than I could be in any other. And just that painfully divided within myself than I could be in any other, while he's you know, on a piece of land that he's been in relationship for pretty much his entire life, right? Um, and then you know, just the love and the passion for that place while also holding its history. And this, this feels very visions to me, right? Like inviting the both and of that. Like I see and am learning the histories of violence that has made it possible for my white possession of this land. And I love it so, like I, I am passionate about it. So what does that mean? And that um, not getting stuck there, right? Like this is so much my work I think as a white person is not just getting stuck in the place of feeling the contradiction and the, and the real terribleness of what that history means and the inequality of intergenerational land transfer, right? And the way that that has just succeeded for hundreds of years now in white families, land transfer um, and, white corp and white owned corporations, right? Corporate control of land and white land ownership. Um, and so to really see that and name it, and to not just get stuck in that guilt and sadness, but what does it mean, right? Like really those questions around um, moving into the future with that. Love yeah. those Kansas Flint Hills. <laughs> I'm just thinking about them right now. Like really, yeah, their beauty was just there. That makes me think about um, an idea that we've talked a lot about before, which is like, how we are learning about this and the importance of like pedagogy in, in thinking about these questions, right? And so I think like understanding the history of the piece of land where I am today is not, in the way that we're talking about, is not just memorizing a timeline of what has happened here, but it's like what you're talking about, Jeannie and Jabari, which is like loving the place that you're in and Furthermore, what you're both talking about is also being in relationship across difference in the place that you're in and doing that learning together. So there's like a difference between me reading a history book about New Orleans, like sitting on the farm at Grodat, versus me standing in a circle, having a conversation about this history with a mix of people of different backgrounds and ancestries and genders and class positions 
about understanding what the history is and then where we go next. And so like that wisdom that like this model I think has to offer is not about a pile of facts or history as maybe the way we think about it in an educational context in schools in our country, but rather like a new way of looking and a new way of seeing and a way of thinking about moving forward. And so I think just, I grow at like a way that that has shown up as if we acknowledge the dispossession of this land from indigenous people, if we acknowledge that during the plantation era, like white folks were making decisions about what happens on this land, this very land that the farm is on today. If we acknowledge that the park was created as a segregated space for elite white um, residents of New Orleans, and that now that, that we still see that legacy in the privatization of the park today, how do we meaningfully disrupt that pattern of white people making decisions about land to the exclusion of others as a nonprofit today? Right. So now we we the people who run this nonprofit are making decisions about land. When are we falling into those same white supremacist modes of decision making and when are we disrupting and doing something different? And so I think like the seed of that is really having these conversations is standing in a circle and talking and thinking through like how does this history inform the way that our organization behaves today. And so just like a small example of that is moving from like is moving to meaningfully include more voices when we make decisions about what we do on the land. Um, that it's not just a small group of people deciding that, but it's a conversation that's happening with um, young people, that it's a conversation that's happening with people who we're partnered with. And that's like a slow process, right? We don't just undo white supremacist structures because we like had one conversation about how this land used to be a plantation and like now we're gonna behave in a liberatory manner. Right. Um, <laughs> Right. But we, like, um, we can use that learning to try to move differently. And I think a big learning that I've gotten from Jabari is that, um, and from Visions too, is that like that process of moving differently, of not repeating historical patterns, of not reenacting white supremacy, of not like driving in those same ruts that we've been on, that, that disrupting that is often quite slow um, and requires like a lot of talking and a lot of listening. I should have said listening first. <laughs> um, <laughs> listening first. Yes. That, 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 that sometimes as an organization at GrowDat, that means that it takes us like years to make a decision. Um, and I think that sometimes coming from like my background as a white person who like definitely grew up in a context of like valuing like efficiency and being fast and getting stuff done, that moving towards a model where like everybody's voice is meaningfully included, acknowledging that this history has happened, like making sure like who's in the room when we're making decisions, that sometimes that's really slows the thing down. Um, but that, um, I think as Jabari has really shown me too, like that slowing down is the work itself. And so I think like, I don't know, one of Tyler's questions here in the chat was like, so how do we, how do we do differently? How do we do better in the future? And I think like for me, an answer is like slow down decision-making processes and think about who is there and, 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 and what meaningful inclusion looks like, that it's not just cosmetic, that it's actually disrupting white supremacist patterns of like continuously reenacting the same stuff. Yeah. But I think how we also, how we do differently is, um, you know, 
taking in consideration those who have least among us or who are those who are even considered least among us. Because if, if, it, if it works for those who have, you know, less money, then it'll work for individuals who have, who have, who have, um, who have most and more money. So I think that's, that, that always has to be a part of the conversation as well. I see we're getting close to the end of our conversation and I really want to know, yeah, like what's rumbling around and feels top of heart or top of mind for any of you. Theo, what's what's up for you? I know we haven't heard from you in a minute. You just like stuff that I end up thinking about a lot recently is restoration projects and you know in this in this region this idea of the the Gulf South and restoring ecosystems and um, I, I, it really is an area where I think that these kind of conversations is so consequential because often what ends up happening is like, there are these very like scientific decisions that are made by scientists who assess what is best and make decisions and, you know, have some categories of like stakeholders or resource managers or something that's just so clinical and removed and, and unreal, you know, um, where often this idea and, and Jenny, you're talking about restoration requiring sort of restoration and Jabari and Kevin talking about this sort of lengthy time that's involved in that. And I think restoration is this, this term that gets thrown around so often, and, you know, like near where we live and where I spend a lot of time doing some community engaged um, kind of research and activist work um, is the site where there are these, you know, this tremendous amount of federal investment in infrastructure to divert silt from the Mississippi River to uh, restore uh, the, the land to the kind of Gulf region of, of Louisiana. And um, almost all of the, the, the ways that, that, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers and, and many different engaged parties have come up with to do that always involves putting um, living communities, often founded during the reconstruction by formerly enslaved people, in direct major peril of major flooding. And often this is this conversation where it's like, well, it's good for Louisiana, or this is what the science says, or people will benefit, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it, to me, is like such an act of violence to, um, to build that infrastructure and to, and to push that narrative. Um, and I think that, to me, this is one version of the stakes of, 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 of these kinds of conversations is like, um, is how, how can we, you know, understand ways in which that is violent and how can we stop that from happening and, and ultimately always comes back to having deeper relationships with you know the the people and places around us um i have a quote if uh anybody wants to hear it that i feel like has really guided me in this process and thinking about why we talk and learn about this um let's hear it kevin yes always so i in the spirit of um you know bringing it to the land where we're at um this comes to us from Kalamu Yasalam, who's an activist and um, an author, and also who I really admire for his educational work um, with this organization called Students at the Center, um, which was doing some work with young people in New Orleans with creative writing and, and just kind of political education. So um, this quote, I think, really gets at what we're trying to do with this framework. Um, and he says, the construction of our future is a problem of memory a problem of accurately identifying and understanding how we came to be whomever we are as we stand in whatever moment we are in, seeking to make decisions about which way to go. Ooh, Kevin, we read it again? Do you mind? <laughs> <laughs> the construction of our future is a problem of memory, 
a problem of accurately identifying and understanding how we came to be whomever we are as we stand at whatever moment we are in, seeking to make decisions about which way to go. And that's coming to us from Kalamu Yasalam. Mm, wow. I loved it. It's just like such an honor to be in relationship and in conversation with you all. It feels like such a gift. And I love that it happens in so many different settings, right? <laughs> Whether it's a podcast like this or us writing together, or us, you know, canoeing together, whatever it looks like, that it's just it's happening in so many different ways. It's so alive. That's the prize, as Jabari says. Then we get to be in relationship. Yeah. <sighs> what a time. And there's more. We have a residency coming up in a month and a half where we will be digging uh, even deeper into the history of the land and, and um, thinking more vigorously about that and not just thinking, but also doing. So uh, really excited to be doing that uh, residency with y'all in August. Uh, we're taking another step, you know, con again, continuously arriving at new beginnings and as I said earlier, that's really exciting for me. So glad to be here. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Same. Love y'all.